Welcome to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast with Dr. Steve Albrecht. I'm the very same Dr. Steve Albrecht, and this podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Hargadon. My topic for this half hour is the Code of Quality Service, and this is a document that I know well. It was created by my father, Dr. Carl Albrecht. That's Carl with a K. My dad is best known for his work in customer service and also in leadership, supervision, and kind of a futurist approach that he has to business, what business is going to look like going forward. My dad's written about 40 books. Uh, His big book was called Service America, Doing Business in the New Economy. That book came out in 1985, and it sold about a million copies and put my dad on the map as the go-to guy about a concept of service excellence, which he called a, quote, managed event, something that we try to do on a daily basis to make sure that we're serving our customers successfully and with skill using policies, procedures, orientation, training, support, and then also hiring the right kinds of service people that have the enthusiasm, the morale, the experience, the ability to get through tough service interactions with customers and come out on the other side where both parties feel really good about the experience as best as we can. So the concept of the code of quality service is 10 behaviors. And these behaviors are memorable and trainable, especially for library employees. I've adjusted them just a little bit in terms of the language. We'll talk about each one in a little bit of detail, and then I'll wrap up and get you on with the rest of your day. When you look at these 10 behaviors, the approach is to make them as operational as possible and not as abstract. Sometimes you look at collections of guidelines about good customer service, and they have things like be polite, be approachable, and we don't always know what that means in terms of the actual behaviors. Some people have a different perception of what politeness is, and other people have a different perception of what being approachable is. These behaviors in this code of quality service, our attempt is to make them as actionable, as operational as possible. So let's dive in. The first one is greet the patron immediately or when passing by. It's all about eye contact. It's about politeness. It's about a sense of being connected to the person that you see, even for a brief moment, that tells this person they made the right choice by coming in the library today. We want patrons to see us as visible. We want to be able to see patrons as they come in. It's a safety and security thing for me, from my perspective. It's also a way to demonstrate respect with respectful eye contact. Everybody likes a human connection, even as brief as it could be just for a few moments. You don't have to stop and have a two-hour conversation with everybody that walks by, but just nodding, smiling, being approachable, making immediate eye contact as somebody comes by. We try not to let distractions of our cell phones or our computer screens get in the way of of this quick interaction that says, I'm glad you're here. Nobody likes to be ignored or kept waiting or made to feel like they're invisible. Think about this in places where you have been where the employees seem so busy with their work that they forget who they are serving, which is the people coming in the door. So just a quick nod and a a quick uh, smile can kind of tell the person, I'll be with you as soon as I can, or I'm happy to help you with uh, instructions or directions or to point you in the right direction as to what you're trying to do when you come inside the library. This same issue is really uh, something that we can do over the telephone as well, that we're answering the telephone as quickly as possible, that we're being um, respectful of the patron's time on the telephone, that we're not putting them on terminal hold, that we're making an effort to explain what we're going to do as we do it. So this first encounter, this first bit of, of service interaction is really critical. The second step in Carl Albrecht's Code of Quality Service is give each patron 
that you contact your complete attention. Think about how we like to multitask. Many of us take pride in our ability to multitask. Unfortunately, multitasking or split attention or being distracted is not what the patron perceives. What they see is you're not paying attention to me, you're doing something else. Maybe if it, even if it's on my behalf, I don't know that because you've not explained it to me. As best as you can, try not to get caught up in the distraction of the actual work. Before you dive into what you need to do on the patron's behalf, just get permission for you to do that from them. I need to step over here. I need to come over to the computer. I'm going to step over and talk to a colleague or a boss. I'll come right back to you. If you could just wait for a second, I'll come right back to you. Thanks for your patience. That type of complete attention says that we see you as somebody whose time we value. We see you as somebody who uh, wants to come in and have a specific problem or issue or, or circumstance uh, discussed or handled by us in a way that's good and, and solves the presenting problems. But we want to do it in a way where we're not being perceived as being distracted by the other things that are happening around us. So some of this idea about uh, giving the patron our complete attention is an eye contact thing. It's an active listening piece. It talks about how we can um, try not to handle two pieces of business with two different patrons at once unless we're talking about an urgency or a safety situation. But the idea that we're trying not to get distracted by telephone calls, by other colleagues, by the computer, by our cell phones, the things that we come across uh, that may pull us away from trying to solve that person's particular issue. Paying close attention to them and their conversation, again, from my perspective, is a safety issue. It allows us to perceive them in, in terms of who they are and, and what they're wanting from the library when they come in, who they're with, their kids, their spouse, partner, colleagues, whoever it happens to be. Somebody who is coming in and has a specific issue, we want to give them our complete attention as soon as we know what they want to do. The third step make the first 30 seconds count with the patron is also related to the last or the ninth step out of the 10, almost the last step. Number nine is make the last 30 seconds count. Think about the combination of those two things. The first 30 seconds of an encounter with somebody is critical and important. It sets the tone for the service interaction. And the last part, the last 30 seconds also set the tone for the conclusion of the service interaction. So in this first critical half minute, you have a chance to connect with the patron to get his or her confidence that you're willing to work on their behalf and that you're listening, you're paying attention to what's going on. Sometimes in our library encounters, our interaction completely with a patron may take less than a minute. Could you tell me where this part of the library is or which section this book is shelved? Sure, it's over there. I'll walk you over there or I'll point you in the right direction. Could take a very brief moment just to have that problem or, or issue or question answered. And when we do things quickly like that, sometimes we can do it a little too quickly, which is to come off as sort of abrupt or or kind of brusque in terms of how we interact. That brief interaction with them is about approachability and tone and, and our sense of helpfulness. It's also a way for the patron to kind of diagnose our body language, our ability to help them based on what they see, that we're neutral, we're friendly, we're approachable, we're polite as soon as they walk in. When we look at this first 30 seconds, it's a chance for them to, to communicate their questions or requests or requests for information from us, and we can help verify through a pretty quick conversation what we need to do. So we're not trying to brush them off. We're not trying to make this too long of a, of a discussion. If it's a quick one, again, we're going back to valuing their time, and that first 30 seconds, it really matters. The fourth step is play your part to be real and not phony or bored. Be natural, be energetic, be cordial. Don't be what my dad calls a bozo or a bored zombie. We've all seen people who have the same kind of patter, the same sort of 
uh, can I help you or who's next or have a nice day next, that kind of a thing which they say over and over and over again. They get caught up in that sort of robotic answer to things which they kind of put their brain on hold and said, well, what's the bare minimum I can say to this person? Uh, who, who do I need to help next? That kind of a thing which comes off as, as bored or robotic. When you look at being real, it's eye contact, it's friendliness, it's tone, it's body language. When you look at being being attached to the situation where you're paying attention to what's going on, you're not phony or bored. This idea of, of having a different thing to say to each person instead of the same sort of patter or the same sort of response that we tend to say over and over again because we get caught up in that. So approach each situation as an opportunity to make a difference in the service interaction with this person and don't allow yourself to become cold or, or bored or apathetic. Um, it's easy sometimes to answer things in the same way uh, and answer things with the same sort of tone which suggests to this person that, that uh, you're not totally dialed in. So this also helps on the telephone as well, good phone manners. We're approachable over the telephone. There's a sense of helpfulness in our voice. It's not a sense in our, our, our tone that comes across as bored or rushed or abrupt or angry that you're bothering me by, by calling us on the telephone. When you look at this interaction here, being natural and energetic and cordial and energy, having some energy and, and being friendly, maybe a lighter touch, maybe a little bit of humor, maybe a little bit of self-deprecating humor maybe a little slice of life discussion about the weather or what's going on around us, that the person says, hey, this is another human being that's, that's in the same situation I am. There's a sense of, of, uh, of a friendly approach. Even when the patron may not be that friendly, at least you're putting off the kind of vibe, the kind of body language, the kind of tone that says, hey, this is how we function in the library. And oftentimes we can get people to model our behavior if we're approachable, if we're polite, if we're professional. Sometimes they move in that direction as well. So when we look at how we do this, it's talking to this person as if they were a real human being and you're demonstrating the skills of communication and good service orientation as a real human being as well. The fifth step, the fifth tool, show your energy with sincere friendliness. Think about how people over the phone or face-to-face -face or over-the-counter sometimes fake it like they're mailing it in. This idea that, that they're seeing their interactions with somebody as just another long day where they have to have another interaction with a human being which they don't want to do. Sometimes we have folks in working in customer service jobs that are in the wrong position. Uh, they should be doing something in the back with the boxes and not necessarily talking to our patrons because they just don't have the skills for it. Over the phone, over the counter, in the stacks, knowing that you are seen as a representative of the library is an important step. Sometimes in training I use the phrase ambassador for the library, which is sort of corny and hokey, I get it. But people see you as a representative of the library. They don't care how long you've been there or what your job title is or how long you've been doing things or even if you have a job title. They don't care if you're a full-time employer or a part-time employer or a volunteer. They see you with a name tag on as representing the library and they have questions or concerns or, or things they want answered. So when you look at energy, friendliness, approachability, that you were not faking it. We have the type of enthusiasm that says, I care about this job, I care about the people that I encounter at the start of the workday and also at the end of the workday as well. When you look at customer service jobs that are transactional with a lot of high human contact, it's easy to get tired. It's easy to get burnt out. It's easy to go home tired. And so energy is a big part of customer service. Energy is a big part of how we sound on the phone, how we sound face to face. Energy is a big part of getting from the beginning of the day when we may have more enthusiasm and more motivation to be service oriented as opposed to the end of the day where we just want to get home and uh, you know get off work and go home. 
And, and that approach to having sincerity and having energy and having a, a real friendliness attached to it is all about working through the entire workday, the work shift, in a way that's, that's helpful for colleagues, it's helpful for bosses, it's helpful for, for patrons all the way through. Nobody likes to work around coworkers who aren't friendly or who aren't supportive and helpful. Nobody likes to be around people that are a big grouch or are negative. And this leaks out of us sometimes with our coworkers, towards our bosses, and towards the patron. We want to pay attention to our tone, our body language, our sense of enthusiasm all the way through the workday. Step six in the code of quality services, be the patron's problem solver. Be the patron's agent. Work on his or her behalf. The buck stops with you. You are oftentimes the final decision maker in whatever the situation is that helps them solve the presenting issue that they brought to your attention. If not, you can get help from a colleague or a, or a boss. But be the patron's problem solver says, this isn't about brushing this person off or saying that's not my department or my job. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear I'm going on my break. Good luck with that. Hope it works out for you. Nobody wants to hear, well, I think the person that can help you is uh, off today. Nobody wants to hear, well, my boss is usually the one that answers that, but he or she's at lunch. What we want to hear is, let me take ownership of this thing that you just told me about, however easy or however complex it may be. And if it is complex, we get help. We get support. We get colleagues and bosses to help us in what we're trying to do. But we're being the patron's problem solver, says that we own the issue until we can get it over smoothly and successfully, and perhaps with even the patron's permission, over to a colleague or a boss. It's not about about being stuck with them forever, but it's about solving the problem and being respectful of their time in that moment, however briefly or however long it takes to get it done. You're creative within the limits of our policies. You solve the presenting issue the best way you can, especially the first time. And again, that goes back to valuing the patron's time. When you look at one of the sins of customer service, um, being the patron's problem solver, one of the sins is, is bouncing people around, giving them a runaround, sending them to other departments. This is especially true on, on the phone, where we put people on terminal hold or we bounce them all over the place. Think about how you have talked to a machine over the telephone instead of a human being, and how you get bounced all over the place based on your account number or based on, on what social security number or whatever data that you put into the phone where you don't actually talk to a human being. Being the patron's problem solver is something that we take ownership, and in service organizations, everybody serves. One of the big concepts that came out of my dad's service book, Service America, was if you're not serving the customer, your job is to serve somebody who does. So when you're the patron's problem solver, you also may be a boss who may come from the back administrative area of the library to jump in and deal with the situation instead of saying, I'm on the floor all the time and I'm talking to people every time. Maybe I come out and I solve the presenting issue from my office as necessary, either when I'm walking through or when my, um, my employees catch me and ask me to do certain things on their behalf for the patron's behalf. So being the patron's problem solver also kind of leads us into the next couple of, of uh, steps, which really have to do with intuition and, and common sense and, and being this person's advocate and perhaps even bending the rules as necessary. So step seven is use your common sense. And sometimes, unfortunately, common sense is not all that common. When we look at situations where people in service jobs are stuck to the rule book, they're stuck to the policy manual, and the answer to some situations on behalf of the patron or the customer is really obvious, and all they need to do is make something happen by checking a box or flipping a switch or agreeing to do something or agreeing to, to uh, take ownership of a certain situation, and they won't. And, and sometimes when bosses 
talk to these employees about why they would not use good common sense and why they would put the customer through some sort of bureaucratic nightmare or make this person jump through a bunch of hoops, the answer is, well, I was just doing my job. And what we say is, yes, we hire you to do a certain job, but we also hire you to have experience and, and intuition and a sense of how to solve this person's problem based on what you would like to be, how you'd like to be treated and what you'd like this person to do if the roles were reversed. Using good common sense says, we've all been in situations where the obvious smart solution to the issue is apparent, but the employee won't do anything to make it happen. You get paid to think and work on behalf of our patrons, do the right thing, and use common sense sensibility. And sometimes common sense sensibility is not too common. Um, just because it's not necessarily in the rule book, and that, that the rule book could be defined as the code of conduct or the policy manual, doesn't mean we can't take some sort of positive action on behalf of the patron, because not everything is captured in the, in the policy manual. Not everything is captured in the code of conduct. Sometimes there are things where we ask employees to have discretion, to do it in a careful way, to do it in a, an intelligent way, to do it in a way that doesn't bankrupt the business, but it acts on the patron's behalf, and it's about good common sense. We ask people to think and to be flexible and to get some help as necessary to show our patrons that we're trying to solve problems and help them with their issues and work on their behalf. Step number eight in Carl Albrecht's Code of Quality Services, bend the rules when the situation calls for it. Bend the rules sometimes when it can help solve the presenting issue for the patron. Perfect example is fines and fees. Sometimes you have the discretion at your level with the circulation desk to simply say, I can waive those fines or I can waive those fees or typically uh, in this situation we would charge this, this amount or I can cut that in half or I can waive it or next time you come in, you know, uh, we'll, we'll catch you next time on this. Um, we'll give you the books that you want to check out now. Again, discretion is a big part of your job. Intuition is a big part of your job. Making good decisions on behalf of the organization without putting the organization at risk. And also there's a sense of flexibility where you're not stuck in the code of conduct or the rule book but you're making good decisions on the organization's behalf, on the library's behalf, and on the patron's behalf as well. Sometimes people get stuck in the idea of bending the rules too much. Now, we don't want you to give away the store. We're not trying to, to put the organization at financial or operational risk, obviously, but we want people to be able to think on their feet. The classic example I always tell in terms of this story was flying on JetBlue Airlines out of Long Beach, California once, I came over and I had been on the road for about 10 days and I had a heavy suitcase full of dirty clothes and shaving kit and materials and all this type of stuff. I put it up on the ticket counter, the scale at the ticket counter for JetBlue and it was 51 pounds. Well, obviously the weight limit for most flights is 50 pounds. Uh, the gate or the ticket agent said, oh, you're at 51. I said, oh, let me grab something and get it out of there. Let me, let me grab my shaving kit. She goes, no, you're good grabs my suitcase, throws it on the conveyor belt, hands me my ticket and says, have a nice flight. Now, obviously, 50 pounds is the weight limit for a piece of luggage. Obviously, I was at 51 pounds, but she bent the rules. Okay, I didn't crash the plane with my extra, extra dirty socks, but she bent the rules in a way which is good for the organization because I talk about that story in a positive way and good for me. I didn't have to rummage through and, and, and take out anything out of my luggage. So we want employees to use discretion. We want them to use good common sense. We want them to act on the patron's behalf. We want them occasionally to bend the rules as necessary. 
rules exist to make things work properly and effectively, but it doesn't have to be something that we bash the, the patron over the head with. It doesn't have to be something that we are so stuck in and so cemented to that we can't be flexible and creative. We ask uh, pay, uh, employees to get permission sometimes from their boss or the person in charge or another supervisor. We ask employees to use discretion about what they do so that there's not a mixed set of consistency and rules in the library where people say, well, you, you did this for my friend yesterday and why can't you do it for me when we put, put ourselves in a sort of captured situation where we're trying to say, well, that was different. This is, this is a different situation today. We want a sense of consistency if we're going to bend the rules. And also that may drive our conversation as, as both employees and as supervisors to say some of these rules maybe need to change. Some of our policies may need to be updated. Some of our approaches, our guidelines, our code of, of, um, of conduct needs to be updated to reflect the fact that most people ignore this rule anyway, or most employees go around this rule for on, the, on behalf of the patron. So think about, as a supervisor, manager, and leader, some of the rules that employees bend all the time might be for a good reason because they're not effective or they're ridiculous or they're outdated or they put the patron in a difficult situation of having to, to comply or do something that, that they don't particularly want to do. And I look at these situations, especially in where, uh, where we have, uh, you know, kind of a change in the life uh, in the library with COVID and things where we're trying to say we want to make good decisions on people's behalf in terms of safety and health and things like that. But we also want to say, look, let's, let's act like adults, intelligent people in a situation where we can make good decisions that support what we're trying to do in our facility. Two themes jump at us at the number nine step, which is make the last 30 seconds count. I talked about how connected the first 30 seconds and the last 30 seconds, step three and step nine, are in this code. But it's also about perhaps we have a chance for something my dad calls service recovery. Service recovery is our ability to say, I'm sorry that happened. We're sorry that happened. Let's fix that right now. Let's make sure it doesn't happen to you again. Sorry that happened to your son or daughter who came in yesterday with that issue. We'll make sure it doesn't happen again. We apologize. Sometimes a graceful apology, even, and here's the key, even if it's not our fault, goes a long way towards checking the box of the patron that says these people care about the service experience, about the library experience. Uh, many times my attorney friends, and this is really back in the day when, when liability for everything that government did seemed to be on everybody's mind was, don't apologize, we'll get sued. And I'm like, you're being ridiculous. We apologize because it's the right thing to do. We apologize because it's a professional thing to do. Now, sometimes it's not our fault. Sometimes our bureaucracies, our, our rules and guidelines and policies have made this situation, in which case we need to apologize and fix it. Other times it's the patron's fault. One of the things I say in my training programs all the time is the customer is not always right. And if you go through a training program where the presenter tries to say that the customer is always right, you know that's wrong intuitively. Many times patrons are incorrect, either through their own misguided sense of things or they've been told something by somebody else who doesn't work at the library or they've misidentified a policy or read something online, which is not exactly true. We've all had, had patrons say, well, I was told I didn't have to pay for that or I was told I didn't have to do that or I was told I was allowed to get this for free or whatever it happens to be and they're not always right. Sometimes we apologize just because it checks a box in the person's head, especially when they're angry, and they say, well, at least I got those horrible folks at the library to apologize to me for something that not necessarily our fault, but they won't take ownership even if it was their fault. But when we look at service recovery, 
our ability to fix the issue and not victimize the staff again or the patron again, it's a big step. Sometimes we need to look at our policies, our bureaucracies, how things go into, into chokeholds and, and tunnels and things like that where they just disappear. The idea that we can't um, connect or, or fix the problem the first time and it takes two months and an act of Congress, then we look at, at removing some of these choke points and these bureaucracies from these situations. That's part of service recovery as well. But the last 30 seconds, the encounter with the person where you say, thanks for coming in, anything I, I can still help you with? Can we ask some open-ended questions instead of, of closed-ended questions? Um, anything else we need to do for you is a, is a closed-ended yes, no questions. Um, if you ask the question a different way is, is um, well, if you look at it and say, in particularly anything that I could, could uh, do for you that's a yes, no answer is kind of a closed-ended approach. More open-ended answers is, is uh, what are the concerns do you have before I, before I head over to help somebody else? Things like that are more open-ended, designed to get this person to maybe tell you a little bit more about what they need before you, you turn them loose. Now, sometimes the last 30 seconds is simply, thanks for coming in. Here's your books. Here's your materials. See you next time. Hope you enjoy what, what you checked out today. And it's as simple as that. It's all about sort of finalizing or wrapping up, kind of in a finishing touch, the library experience. And, and doing everything you can to kind of add value to that last little moment when the person leaves and says, hey, they care here. And they, they help what we're, I'm trying to do as a patron coming in with my kids, or if I'm a student, or I'm an elderly person, or I'm somebody that has a lot of computer experience or not very much, you know how we can wrap up that last little piece. Thank them for their patience. Thank them for coming in. Hope that they come back. Now, sometimes, in this situation of the last 30 seconds, the patron will be so distracted by his or her issues that they don't thank you for the work that you did. And this is common. Uh, one of the issues that we see in the United States is people have a very high expectation of customer service. If you've traveled around the rest of the world, it's not the same. But in the United States, we have a very high expectation of service. We have a very high expectation of the level of quality service that we get. Sometimes people take what you do for granted. Sometimes they won't thank you, even though you may have spent a substantial amount of time with them, several hours. Now, that's not mean we have to beg for a, for a you're welcome out of people, but sometimes folks get so distracted by their own lives that they don't pay attention to the fact that you've worked really hard on their behalf. That's okay. Even if they don't thank you back, thank them anyway. When we look at the 10th step, it's probably kind of a capstone step, and it's take good care of yourself. Uh, stay hydrated, get your lunch, your, take your breaks, Get um, rest before you come into work. Take care of yourself after work. When you look at service jobs, they are challenging and tiring. It's easy to get burnt out if you have a transactional, high human contact job where you're doing a lot of things over the phone, a lot of things over the counter, a lot of things out in the stacks. Get your sleep. Get some exercise. Walk your dog if you have one. Catch up on your reading or your other hobbies that you like to do. Stay fresh and focused. Help yourself have a long and healthy career in library service by saying, I need to take care of myself before I can take care of other people. So there you have it. That's the Code of Quality Service, my dad's collection of 10 behaviors that he has created as part of his work in customer service and service excellence throughout his career. And when you look at the Code of Quality Service as a supervisor, you may take an individual one of these 10 and make it a training discussion. You could take all 10 and turn it into a staff meeting. You can use some of these 10 as a coaching intervention with an employee who has maybe a specific area that he or she needs to work on, communications, service skills, um, politeness, whatever it happens to be. So look at these 10 as a collection 
but also look at these 10 as things that you may be able to pull out for specific coaching discussions or coaching situations. Look at these 10 as a way to motivate your staff, to remind them of things that they already know, and but you're simply bringing to their attention some kind of ways to fine tune some of their behaviors when it comes to dealing with even especially difficult, challenging uh, patrons. And we look at the way that we do business as this code of quality service as a guidepost for what we like to, to do on, in terms of service excellence in our library. So my thanks to the producer of the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast, Steve Hargadon. For more information, visit the Library 2 website at library20.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast.